Welcome to this episode of the Game of London podcast. My name is Stuart Phil and today my guest is Thomas from Future Friends and I will now pass over to Thomas to introduce himself. Hello, my name is Thomas. You here? You're over there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm what I have. Um, I'm the founder of Future Friends Games. It's an indie games PR company. We also do some publishing services for a handful of games. Um, really indie game focused. We work on games like Frog Tech 2, Omno, Exo 1, Cloudpunk, Cloud Garden, Welcome to Elk, Scourgebringer, Recompile, many, many more. Like we work on dozens of indie games per year. Yeah, amazing. Um, so uh, today, me and Thomas are going to be talking about uh, PR and how to market games. Uh, so without further ado, what got you into the games industry? Um, I was, since I was a teenager, like writing about games, was a games journalist for a couple of years. In Austria, where I'm from, um, and then a friend started making a game, but didn't know how to market it. And I was in my early twenties, had nothing to do with summer, and I was like, "Well, I might as well try that." Like, yeah. I write about games. I think I can promote them, or at least I can try. And then, kind of from there, I got into it. Worked for different agencies, also like on bigger games like League of Legends or Smite. And then, three years ago, started my own company. Cool. And, yeah. I know we have, we're based mostly based in the UK, so we have four people in. All spread out over the UK and one person in France. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so you set up the company three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, was that off the back of just general success that you were having, or um, were you working for someone else at that point and then you kind of thought, actually, I can just do this for myself? Yeah, so like I was working for another agency, one that I also really liked, um, but they were a bit split between working for like really big games and MMOs and indie games, and I loved the indie projects, and then I just went to do indie. And I've been there a couple of years and just kind of thought I want to try to do my own thing, try a couple of different things, and then just went from there. Definitely like a leap of faith was quite scary. Yeah, Quitting your job, just tweaking, was like, I do this on my own now, who want to do this? But luckily yeah. it went quite well. Cool. So did you start out with, um, sounds like maybe you started out with like a few friends who were making games. Um, so did you work from like promoting for them? Was there um, particular people that you to seek out in order, in order to do that? Like how did that kind of beginning start? I mean really in the beginning it was just being lucky, me just knowing friends that make games and want to try it and so just like you did this once, this was quite good. Um, and then it really just like snowballed from there, like uh, just networking by accident I would say, just making friends. And then moved to the UK, started working with an agency there, also started giving more like public talks couple of GC talks, EGX and so on, and through that just got to know more people and got to have a bigger network. Mm. And I think since then just really enjoying indie games because often if you work on indie games you work with indie developers and they just tend to be extremely nice people. Yeah. So it's definitely one of my favorite things about the job that it's just I'm not used to anyone being like rude or like not productive in a work setting. It's always just like how do we make this work in the best possible way. It's just really nice. Yeah. So um so you like when you were working for um, like for, for someone else, mm -hmm. um, did you have much interaction with like AAA studios where you were just it was just a bit too heavy, or is it literally just maybe with indie uh, does that more personal connection? I think it's that. Like we definitely touched into I would say maybe double A and like a handful of times AAA within my career, and obviously like reading a lot of things, talking to other people, and I just really like with indies. You have an idea and you just like we could do a reddit post all right i'm gonna write this person now and like have this up in two hours or you get a trailer and you can you can just make up a trailer script they record it we make it together it just 
you have so much more input, I think, mm. that it's, it's really rewarding and you can see a really big difference. If something works, it can be make or break the decisions you make and you could really help people um, to make their games big. Because there's just like so many people making really, really good things, really yeah. nice things, but then maybe don't have the time or the skill to market them. So it's really like just helping those people to get their games out there. It's just really rewarding. So with that um, ability to kind of like do things really quickly, obviously when you're working with people in a, a smaller team, it's still a lot more personal. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that there, it's easier to make mistakes there or is it easier to get away with potential mistakes? <laughs> it's definitely easier to get away with, but there's, like, there's no approval process usually. It's you ask one or two people mm -hmm. and ask a couple of people in the team and if everybody thinks it's a good idea, you go for it. Right. Um, I would also say in indie, one thing we often see this is people really worry about having spoilers, doing stuff that might look bad or like S isn't good enough. And like obviously there's things, if something is like inappropriate, politically incorrect, there's definitely things where I would be like, you should be careful with those. Mm -hmm, yeah. This is really important. But on the other hand, if a GIF is not that polished or you just want to try a Reddit post, you want to try an intro post, I think we always encourage people to just try because as an indie usually your problem is not that you struggle with the quality you put out. You, your main number one struggle is always going to be just visibility. Mm -hmm. So if you put out 10 posts, there's 10 potential posts that can go trending. Right. And they don't need to be perfect. I think it's it's just not a good indie mindset to just polish those things to death. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like It's so hard to predict what trends were mm -hmm. that I'm a big fan of just trying and see what sticks. Obviously, to an extent, you can't just yeah. put up 500 tweets per day, but like... Yeah, I mean, you could, but it might get annoying. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, even for me, from, from my perspective in, in my studio, um, I would, yeah, I would say the number one fear is this, like, what if I do it wrong? What if I ruin everything before I even get it going? But I think, certainly with things like Twitter, the tide changes so quickly that you could get away with being, not crazy stupid, but a little bit stupid and people by tomorrow will have forgotten that, that you even tweeted. We always say like, most, even if things go really big, if you have five tweets and they all go trending and it gets a thousand retweets, most people are going to see your game in the next trending one have never seen it before. Mm. Like, I think just whatever you put out, always assume people need to understand that people see that for the very first time. Right. Um, we also like really in indie, unless you're big already, but if you're like proper startup indie, you're quite small, I really like encourage people not to have anything that's too clever that it's like 10 tweets in a row and you need to read all of them to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because chances are no, nobody's gonna follow the thing. Yeah, Most people are gonna see one. tweet six and then some people see tweet eight. So it's just like, make them really concise, always kind of explain what your game is. Those things need to always like work for themselves. Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's really hard to get your head around the scale of like how big platforms are, how big gaming platforms are, how big social media platforms are, and how many people just see your stuff for the very first time, even if you've been for tweeting for two years. Yeah. And that's like, that's on the scale for like end users. Like we talk to journalists all the time from big gaming websites, and we would email Eurogamer IGN 20 emails and be like, this game is cool, do you want to play it? And then email 21, they come back and it's like, this is great, why have I never seen this? And right. it's because they have an inbox that gets a thousand emails per day yeah. and they just missed it all the times before. And like, don't blame them, but just like, never assume that people have seen your stuff already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, with um, social media is global. So, yeah, if even if the people that will see your stuff on, on a regular basis will be people who are kind of already bought in a little bit, or kind of like maybe have seen some of your stuff and are already fans. 
but outside of that, like uh, yeah, like say every single message is going to be a new message to a new person who hasn't heard about you before. And like as you said, I think tweeting five hundred times is obviously over the top. Mm, but like yeah. if you promote it, like if it's close to launch and you tweet once a day or like twice per day, people that follow you yet they want to see your stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think I wouldn't be afraid to like annoy them because they follow you on purpose. They want to see what's going on. Um, again, not twenty times per day. Yeah, but. Definitely not being like we can just tweet once a week because everything else is too much. I think that's not a good mindset um, for starting out. And I would also say, always assume that just people don't use all the platforms. Mm -hmm. If you've been massive on Twitter and massive on Reddit, that means Tumblr people and Imgur people might have never heard of you. It's right. the same if you're, you're big in gaming press, you're really big on Steam, maybe Twitch doesn't know you. Mm -hmm. So like I think making content and then just like putting it out on all the platforms that make sense for you and you feel comfortable with makes a lot of sense. I think like to learn how to recycle content good is a really indie skill that can really help you a lot. Do you find, um, I would say when I was first starting up with my studio, mm -hmm. um, I used to do a lot of like create one piece of content and it went on every platform at the same time. Like, yeah. I didn't really, hadn't thought about it. I was like, this needs to go out, everyone needs to see it. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think my mindset at the time was, okay, it's done, like it's out there, people have seen it. Um, but again, like you said, that's not really the case. Maybe I've hit like five people <laughs> on each platform. Unless you're really lucky. Yeah, unless I'm really lucky, yeah. yeah. Um, do, you, um, do you recommend doing that kind of thing? Or do you actually need to be a lot more tailoring for each platform? Um, I think it really is, depends on picking your lead platforms and tailoring there. Like what we often do is like Twitter is quite important for, mm -hmm. for indie devs. There's a lot of under indie devs on there. They're great to retweet you. They yeah. follow your game, there's a lot of gamers on there. Um, and if you go big on a hashtag screenshot Saturday, where you put your stuff out every Saturday, you might get a lot of retweets and you get like out of your following, out of your current bubble. Right. So you really break out, that helps a lot. Whereas on Facebook, this is really hard. Like even on Facebook, if loads of people share your stuff, it usually stays within the same niche bubble. Mm -hmm. So it depends on games, like on free to play, different countries. Um, I know Facebook is more important, but like for Western Europe, US, Facebook for games, I think in terms of organic reach isn't that important. So I would say like, if you want to use Facebook, great, but just take your Twitter stuff and just copy it over. Right. It's, like, it's, not, it's not worth the extra effort. Whereas if you go on Reddit, Reddit is make or break. Like on Reddit, mm. oh, you get banned, you get downvoted, nothing happens. But if it goes well, it can go the best. Like it's the platform we can reach the most people with one single bit of content, but they are really specific of what they want. Mm -hmm. Like in certain subreddits, they don't like YouTube videos, you have to upload native videos for kids. And if you don't play by those rules, you're going to get kicked out pretty quickly. So you so, really need to know what you're doing with Reddit. Yeah. So you might recycle it, but you have to adjust it. Maybe you have to cut your logo out in the end, or your wishlist on Steam, because that looks too marketable, you won't like that. So right, you're right. going to remove that or convert it into a GIF and make it specific for the platform. And just, I think it's just important to play by their rules and be respectful and not just be there to like spread out market damage. Like, if you want to do Reddit, you have to commit to be on Reddit and be part of the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard that quite a lot about Reddit, which has kept me away from it for the longest time. <laughs> and I think it's, it's like in stages. I think if you want to go with the really big one, the slash gaming, that's the biggest. Like if you want to be on there and you want to make it, that's really hard. You really need to understand it. But there's really indie friendly ones as well. There's Reddit slash indie gaming, or I think indie games is one of the two. It's quite big, and there's mostly developers on there. And if you just put your trailer there, and it's nicely a nice description, but it's a bit promotey, they won't be too annoyed. That's kind of fine. Okay. If you go in slash game dev, and you actually have a good game dev tip, they're gonna like that. 
But if you go on the really big one, I think those are the hard ones where you need to build up an account, you need to understand what's going on. But I think there's only stuff that Reddit where I would really recommend every indie game to look into them because it's not that much work to get a good amount of views on stuff there. What can a solo dev do to self-promote? So I think there's obviously like it depends how much time you have. Mm -hmm. like, I have to keep this respect for everyone who can make a game on their own. I don't understand how. Right, <laughs> like, right. It's just so like promoting often is a full-time job and like making a game into all the elements and then promote it is really daunting and there's like biggest respect if you can do it. Um, if you really need to prioritize, um, I think the two big things that are really like can make a big difference for you as a solo dev is one is platform support. So if any platform holder supports you and the second one is you have a big following. Like a big following is big community, big discourse, big social media, that's by far the safest thing you can do mm -hmm. because those people are going to buy your game either way. If you have that one, you kind of like stack it. You can just sell a certain amount of copies with whatever you put out and that's great, but that needs time and you can't cheat it, you can't do it overnight, you just have to grind, put right. stuff out every week, talk to people, just get to really know your audience and it's a lot of work but it's worth it. And the second one that's quicker to do but it's way more of a gamble is like trying to get platform featuring Okay. And it's very different per platform how that works. If you make a console game, usually you talk to a platform holder, you talk to Xbox for example, and if they like your game, they're going to feature you. And All if right. you don't like your game, they're not going to feature you. So it's hit or miss, um, which can be great if your game is great and really bad if your game is not to their taste. Yeah. Um, whereas on Steam, for example, which is often I think the first station that a lot of small developers want to sell their game. Um, they give you way more tools of stuff you can do, which is good and bad. So it's very algorithm driven. But it's also Steam is very clear about how you get featuring, how you get a lot of traffic on your game. The main mechanism they use at the moment is collecting wish lists. So people mm -hmm. kind of set a reminder that they get the game when it's out. And that's one of the key measurements where Steam decides if or sees if a game is like big, has a big following, a big interest, big community. Um, so if you build up your wish list on Steam, so certain formulas where you can kind of predict how much you're probably going to sell in the first week. And okay, that's just based on the wish, wish list? That is right. it's a big factor. There's different factors as well. Mm -hmm. um, basically what's really important on Steam is how you're at the moment to change a lot, but the common understanding at the moment is it's really important how your day one is doing. So on day one you're in the new releases window and you have a, a small time window and within that Steam tracks very accurately how many people go on your page, they give you a lot of traffic, they give you thousands of people that look at your page, but then it depends how you perform. Do they, do they click on your page? Are they going to buy the game? How long did you play it? Do they leave a review? And if your stats are good, Steam is like, the Steam algorithm picks up and they're like, this is a good game, people want to buy that, this is good, this makes us money as well, obviously that's what they want, right, right. and they keep featuring you. So if you're a solo dev and you've really missed the boat and you've unfortunately not collected wish lists, mm -hmm. you didn't talk to any platform holders, at very least make your Steam page really nice because at least you have that launch day where if you just have a really good game and your metrics line up and you're just a bit a bit very lucky, you could still go trending technically. Okay. So I think if there's just like, I have two days to promote a game, like what can we do? I would be like, let's make the Steam page really nice. That's, uh, that's really good because that leads us into uh, my next question, which is how do you make a good Steam page? Yes. <laughs> Definitely like one of the most asked questions we get at the moment. Um, I think really important to understand on the Steam page is firstly how do people find your Steam page right. and the big 
a big part of that is like little listings where it says new games release, new and trending, um, or certain featurings you get within the store that every game gets that comes out. You get a certain amount of views. Uh, so I think really using Steam by yourself and seeing why and where games are promoted is really important. There's something called the capsule image, which is just like a little logo, like a little artwork. And that is the thing that shows up on loads of listings, and that's often the only thing people will see about the game. There's 20 new games, and if you don't stand out there, and they click somewhere else, that's a, that's a stat you lost instantly, right. because they didn't click you. And so putting a lot of work into that, I think, is really important. Having a really nice video that just explains what the game is, is really, really extremely important. Having GIFs on the store page is great, because they also play without you having to click the video. Steam is not very explicit about the ability that you can add gifts, but you can. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's a thing you should definitely do. Um, and really important for the understanding is these, you don't want to get the most people clicking on your Steam page. You want to get the right people in your Steam page. Ah, okay. Because if they click on it and then they don't buy it, that's bad. And if they click on it and they buy it and then they hate it, that's the worst. Because mm -hmm. a bad Steam review is really, really bad. If you have bad Steam reviews, it's really hard to sell anything on Steam. Um, so we worked on a game called Fugle, which is about a bird where you just fly around, it walks the loop, it's really nice, it's really relaxing, but there's no mission, there's no story mode, it's just for relaxing. So the whole Steam page was just like, if you want to relax, this is your game, but also there's no story mode, there's no missions, we're not hiding this, please, if you like missions, don't buy this game, because they're gonna not, those yeah. people are gonna like it, and they're gonna ruin the Steam page pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so you have to be very clear. Very clear. So, yeah. yeah. And I think also be adaptive. Like if you have, if you promote Google, you forget to mention that it doesn't have story mode, and you see the reviews going bad, reply to them, immediately change your store text, really make sure to listen to feedback and try to describe your game, obviously in the best light, but also as accurately as you can. Mm. So um, there was something that you mentioned there. What, what was the, the little icon thing? Oh, the capsule image. Yeah, yeah. So, so that appears in um, like so a new new games list? Yeah, so like it has two placements. One is if you're just on the normal Steam page, there's usually a trailer on that side, a little game description here, like a really short paragraph that's quite important, and then there's a little your little key art, your little key image. So like those three things are the first thing that people see. The one somebody on the page, those three things are the most important ones. Okay. But then if you're just on the storefront, in the new releases window, that's where you just see the image in the game side. So it's this kind of like way of having a yeah. If you if you've got something that allows that catches someone's eye. Yeah, and then just, that's and like often we say like really simple things like if you design it, you might not think about it, and you make a really like, a really sick logo, and it looks nice. But it's like, do you see if somebody only sees this image and nothing else? Do they understand what your game is, or mm. is it just a nice logo? Right. And there's like little simple things that help like colors that pop can help a lot, having characters on there, just one big face, just something that draws your eye so it helps. Mm -hmm. What we often do or recommend is go to Steam, take a screenshot, Photoshop your own game in, in the current list, does it stand out? Right. Yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. Um, I didn't know about the GIFs thing either. I guess that's almost like insider knowledge, right? If you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. That, that's it. Um, uh, for years, it used to be a thing that you can have GIFs on your Steam page, but only if you take a GIF and call it a JPEG, that was kind of hacked. Okay. And now you can actually upload them as GIFs, but the Steam documentation didn't quite catch up, so it's not mentioned you can do that, so you can't do it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's only a good thing to know, because, yeah, like you say, if, it's, if you can't auto-play videos, which is 
as you know, if you're set, well, as I know from setting up like a website to display things, that the first thing you want is that when someone comes to your page, there's something going on. You don't want, ideally, people aren't clicking too much at all, other than maybe buy. Yeah, that's it. And I think often it, it's like I think how a lot of people use a website to go on it, going to look at the image and just scroll down immediately, and that's yeah. where you've already auto-flagged if you have it. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, what would you say is your top tip for indies? I think it's it's there's a there's, I look up a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go with maybe top top <laughs> yeah. three. Uh, top three is I think one is if if you want to make indie games and want to make money with them, it's obviously very different. If you just want to make an indie game and try it, that's like don't worry about it. Just make something nice. If you want to make money with it, I think doing your research before you start. Is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. And now, it, as a game developer, it maybe seems like, oh, but I like this whole thing back in my artistic vision. And to a certain extent, it probably does. But if you want to make money with it, then you can't 100% be artistically free, I think, with what you're doing. Yeah. So you probably have to find a compromise of the stuff, of things you want to do and things you can do because they are viable business wise. And especially on Steam. They're quite open with the data. There's loads of really good websites. There's one called steamdb.info, um, where you can look up every Steam game, and it shows you how many people are playing it right now, how many people do play it since it came out, and how many followers do they have. There's something called Steam followers. That's like similar to a wish list, but you get more notifications. Okay. Um, and with those things, and the number of user reviews, if you take all those together, you look up a couple of formulas, you kind of do the math. It's not exact, but it gives you a pretty good idea of how much any game you want to look up has sold. Right. And there's certain genres and certain type of games that just work better. If you make a simulation game, if you make a strategy game, it's just types of games that either Steam players or Steam wants. I don't know which one of both it is, but mm -hmm. they just tend to, they tend to sell way better. Right. If you have a nice RTS and you tell me I want to sell like 5,000 copies and it's a good game, I'm like, cool. If you make a point-and-click adventure and you want to do that, I go like, Maybe. probably can't book me now, pretty busy at the moment. Right. Like point-and-click is in a, like adventure games and point-and-click, they're really, really hard to sell on Steam. And like, I don't know why that is. Yeah. It's more like you definitely see patterns. So it's almost like you need to know where your audience is. And it's, I think it's very different from what is big in media, what is big on YouTube, what is big on your Twitter, to what actually sells. Um, there's often games, really like lovely, emotionally, really deep adventure games that get all the press coverage, they're great, but they don't sell on Steam. So there's a really big gap between those things. And that's, I think it's really important to just be aware of both of them. And obviously, the adventure games, they still have their space. You might get platform holder support, you might get a, a Microsoft Game Pass deal and you get great money for that. Or you might want to have local country funding and therefore you make, we were working on a game about a Syrian refugee, they got EU funding. Right. Like that's a way of financing and for them big press coverage is important. They need to be on the Guardian because that's how to justify the next funding for the next game. Mm -hmm. But obviously in terms of actual sales, those games are just way harder to just market. Wow, okay. Um, with the marketing that you do, um, do you deal much with um, like influencers? Yes, that's definitely something we do for every game we work on. Okay. If we actively work on it and campaign it, um, I think there's a, a really big amount of stuff you can do without paying someone. Um, and like again, as an agency, we do that with good big data players, so YouTube and Twitch people, 
we know which games they like with personal contacts. But also, I think if you're just a solo there and you don't have a budget for PR company, but you have time, that's definitely stuff you can do loads of it. Mm -hmm. You can look them up, you can research them, send them a nice email with like similar games to your game that they enjoyed, and then send them free Steam codes. There's loads of people that are going to play your game. Wow, that's cool. Um, yeah, because I know that uh, influencer marketing has kind of boomed, I would say recently, but it feels like it's actually been going quite some time. <laughs> it is. Okay, I would say like it has changed a bit. It used to be a couple of years ago that if you get one big video, mm -hmm. you see a sales spike immediately. And that's kind of gone. Like right. you see like a small bump or something, but that really like one-to-one, -one, big YouTube video, big money, that doesn't happen anymore. I think now I see influencers more of one of the many tools I would try to use. Mm -hmm. It's like press, do your influencers, do your social media, and then just see what works for you and what sticks. But I guess like the more the more things of them you can try, the better, because there's just no silver bullet. Yeah, for sure. Do you find um, when you work with like influencers, is that like is that easy to do? Like in terms of like managing um, between what the studio is expecting and what an influencer is willing to do and what whatever interaction you have that yeah. you might want them to. Do. So as they as we usually work with zero to no budget, we just give out game codes. Mm -hmm. So you can't have a lot of expectations for what to do. It's more like, do you like this game? Cool, here's a code. Mm -hmm. Have fun. That's, yeah, you don't have a lot of influence what they do with it. Right. So, of course, if you do research, that helps. That you pick people that usually cover games, that enjoy that kind of games. Yeah. Um, and usually we just encourage studios to make it as easy as possible for press and influencers to cover their game. So often you would have studios being like, mm, I think they shouldn't play after the first third of the game because after I want the spoilers, right. or they should hold back that video, that level until this day, and then two weeks later they could show the next level. That works if you have like really good relations with specific influencers, but if you do your really big push for launch or something, I think you do yourself a favor if you make it easy for them to cover your game. Mm -hmm. That's literally email them, and then if they come back, send them a code, or send them a code straight away, and just see if it sticks. Yeah, because you make their life easy. Like they they get a thousand games per day. They're yeah, not right. depending on you. It's more like you want to be the lucky one to get picked, so you better have a nice gift in there and hook them pretty quickly. So would you advise maybe do you send them press packs or is it literally just like an email with a, a key and a, a nice little like hey I'm just a yeah. indie dev please play my game. Yes, yeah, so it's very different. What we email to press and what we email to influencers like press they need to. I think they just need a bit more text. They want to have some stuff they can like maybe copy paste out certain bits that they like. They need to have more information. They want to have a couple of different angles and they can pick what they write. And maybe stuff you missed as a PR person, they pick out a longer press release. Mm -hmm. Where I thought this is likely to be the most, the bit, most, most important points. And they go like, this is brilliant. This is going to get me clicked. I'm going to pick this one. Right. So I think offering them a bit more meaty stuff is nice. Um, after having a summary in the beginning, so it's easy to understand. Right. They want to have some follow-up info. Um, yeah. Whereas influencer, usually they don't do that. They, they just need to game, need games which look fun to play or fun to watch. So it's literally one or two lines. What is this game? A big gift in there, trailer link, Steam page link, Steam key, have fun. Maybe press kit with some assets, so it's easier for them to make a thumbnail and stuff like that. Right, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, I know that uh, for my studio, when it comes to that kind of stuff, I will be looking at all of the imagery that I want to present and if I am working with an influencer what I would 
I dearly like them yeah. for shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, like I say, like, like you say, I, I understand that with some influencers, you're just going to have to say, here's my stuff, have fun, do you. Yeah. And, and ideally, you pick someone who does, who, yeah, is, is kind of, I guess like any anyone who plays games is kind of going to be suitable-ish. But really, if they love the kind of games that you play, or um, if there's a certain age range that you want to reach, then you don't want to pick someone who is quite blue, when you kind of want someone who's child-friendly on their stream. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think just on the really basic level, I think it's also just nicer for you and them. Like, there's loads of, if you get a big list on the internet somewhere, like, of the biggest hundred YouTubers, and all the email addresses, like, there's stuff they can find somewhere, but, like, 80 of them are going to be Fortnite YouTubers. Mm. They never play indie games. Like you need to do a certain amount of research for that, um, and that's definitely a really good site for that. Like on YouTube, we usually just go and look similar games that people play. Look, use the YouTube search. For Twitch, it's more difficult to find details, and there's a website called sullynome.com. I don't know why it's called like that, and yeah. like gnome is a logo, but it's okay. really good. It's like it, it fetches loads of Steam da uh, Twitch data, and you can literally put in any any game that you like and sort by. Who played this? In what language? In what time frame? Oh wow! So it's incredibly it gives you. You need to do the manual research afterwards, but it gives yeah. you all that data for free. Like it's a really good website. That is good. Um, we will include all links for stuff like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people, you'll be able to find it. Don't worry. What would you say is your favorite game on Steam right now? That's a lot of games. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would say like. Uh, How about if we actually go with uh, what? Is there a game out there that you think people should definitely yes, see definitely. and play? Okay. That's a game called that we we worked on and we were like so happy to work on it because it was one of our company goals to make it. It's a half joke but also for real. It's called Frog Detective 2. Frog Detective 2, yeah. so there's a one out there. There's one out there, okay. which we didn't work on, but that's when we fell in love with it. And okay. now there's Frog Detective 2, they're like just, it's about a frog that's a detective. No way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did, did they come to you for like... You say that you wanted, they were someone that you wanted to work with, but did you seek them out? Did you? Oh, I think we sent them a ridiculous email. We played the first one, we were like, oh my god, this is the best game ever made. Like, if you ever need anything, oh my god, please come back. To right, us. okay, like, cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just like, it's really short. It's like one, two hours long, and it's just quite funny. It's like an adventure game where you can't really do anything wrong. It's like a comedy game, and it's one of the few games that really made me laugh. It's like, it's like, and I love the lens. It's like watching a film. You can play it on a, put it on your TV, um, or play it with a friend, and it's just really funny. Oh. I really love it. I really okay. Keep an eye out for that. So I think that's a good point for us to conclude this episode. Um, if you'd like to tell us where people can find you and uh, all, all links and uh, Twitter handles and stuff. Oh yes. So you can find me on Twitter under Olima, which is O L I M A, but probably you can also. No, my name is very complicated to spell. It's probably easiest if you just want to see anything. Look up Future Friends Games. There's a company name, there's a website, there's like all the talks, links, loads of PR tips. We also do like a PR marketing podcast. So if you want to like learn more about how to do sales PR marketing, there should be hopefully good things in there. And as per usual, you can find us on gamedev.london. You can join our Discord where you can um, find teams to join or um, start your own teams. Um, and yeah, there's links on our website if you would like to hear the full audio podcast. Um, and I think that's it from me. Um, thanks for coming and see you in the chat.